Hello, and welcome to Biofilm Podcast. This is a show where I interview biomedical and life science professionals and ask them about their career, opinions about current events or thought-provoking topics, and their taste in movies or TV. Hello and welcome to Biofilm Podcast, the show that brings you to the forefront of biomedical research, biotech, pharma, and healthcare fields, and the professionals behind it. I'm your host, Pavel Rozhov. In the episode 4 of Biofilm Podcast, I welcome a very special guest, Professor Chandan Singh. First, he was one of my lab colleagues at SPP Medical Discovery Institute, where we worked together for two years, struggling with membrane protein sample preparation, negotiating NMR instrument time, and having constant discussions about all things science. However, he is also special because of his determination and the resulting accomplishments coming from a small village in India to his undergraduate and graduate work in one of the most prestigious universities there, to his postdoctoral stints at MIT and in San Diego, where we met. Now he is an assistant professor in the Department of Biochemistry of Baranas Hindu University in his hometown. To tell us all about his passion for academic research, his work on bone structure, and whether he will do another PhD, here is Chandan Singh. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pavel, for in, inviting me to this pod- podcast. It's always nice to talk to you. Yes, uh, I, I could not agree more. So before we get started and dive deep into your scientific journey, Chandan, since it's a biofilm podcast, I like to ask my guests about a recent movie that they watched. I already know that you're a big fan of, of movies and watch them avidly. In fact, we've watched yes. a number of movies together. However, in a bit of a deviation, given uh, a recent passing of a Bollywood icon, Irfan Khan, I wanted to ask, what was your favorite movie with him and why? Oh, so, I mean, that's a very nice point. In fact, he was one of the best actors we have seen in long time in Bollywood. And people like it to call Indian movie industry and whatever, and people prefer. But he has a lot of, he has given a lot of very nice performances. So. One of my recent favorites was his release, I think, in uh, two, one or two years before, Karib Karib Single. It means almost single in English. And that was a very nice romantic comedy. And he, he just naturally in his performances. So I like that. Have you seen uh, Life of Pi? I think he was in that movie too. Yeah, I have seen Life of Pi and he was in Jurassic Park also. So since you asked me an Indian movie, so that was yeah. my favorite one. Okay, okay. With, with songs and everything, you know. So, so am I correct to understand that he was a big, big actor in India? Yeah, so there are stars and there are actors. So people have their preferences. So mm-hmm. people are changing their interest in movies, the kind of movies they want to watch or the kind of actors they like. So he was one of the actors which were, who was liked for being a good actor right, rather than being a star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you feel like your movie preferences have changed throughout your professional life? And were any of the times that you were, uh, say, in America versus in India, like how much did that influence your choice of movies that you wanted to watch? Uh, choice of movies did not change a lot from my PhD time. In fact, from, my, uh, from the time I started my PhD, it has been almost constant. I can watch diverse variety of, I mean, diverse range of movies. It, it has changed from when I was young then. So when I was young, I used to watch typical action movies, but it has changed a lot from then. OK, 
Okay, so now this, this is a perfect opportunity to jump into the, the journey that I've just prefaced in the introduction. So since like yourself, I'm also a trained NMR spectroscopist, I have to ask you point blank, which one do you prefer, solution NMR or solid state NMR? And before you answer, I guess, can you give us a little bit of introduction into what NMR is and how did you learn first about it? So NMR is basically a technique which gives you in a very broad sense, it gives you opportunity to look, look into micro world be, uh, in, in their absolute native states without tempering too much. So like uh, if you want to look small molecules, you can just put, put a serum sample inside the NMR tube. You don't have to treat with anything and you can have a profile of small molecules within uh, serum. You can have their concentrations and that helps you to get details of uh, patient condition and those kind of things. For protein molecules, we, we can study structure, dynamics, and all different kind of details. So basically, it's like a magic wand, which allows you to see the micro world, you know, at atomic scale, so you can get site-specific information. And my first uh, introduction to NMR was accidental. Basically, I was doing a project uh, on a plant-based, uh, I was doing a plant-based project on, I think I was cloning some rice genes, stress tolerance rice gene, uh, in Delhi, and my, one of my friends, he was doing uh, project work in Lucknow with my supervisor. So he told him, told me that they have an interesting opening for PhD position. So in your PhD work, which is where you first really had um, ample opportunity to go into the NMR spectroscopy, you did you did work in with in terms of uh, bone structure and composition. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience of trying to use this new technique and going into this very, I guess, very complex structure from the structural point of view, this complex system of bone. And what was the challenges that you were trying to address in that research? So uh, when I joined that lab, basically that lab had a project based on, I think, uh, A2A receptor, which is adenosine uh, re receptor. So, the original project where I joined was based on membrane protein. But due to some reasons, it took a long time for us to procure our first purification system. Well, yeah, membrane proteins. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we, we could not procure the machine. Like, we were targeting a purifier to buy mm -hmm. that. And although we had the money, the government system worked like that, that it took some time uh, when we could get our... Uh, uh, purification system purchased. So I could not sit down, I didn't. So my senior, Ratan, he was working on this project where they were, they were studying uh, organic part of the cholera. Uh, basically, I, I, I can give a brief introduction. So bone is a biomaterial and it has two broad components in organic part, which, is, which, has, a, which has calcium hydroxybutyrate minerals, and then organic part, which is composed more than 90% uh, by type one collagen. So if, if you record uh, any carbon 13 spectrum, you will get signal mainly from collagen because that's, that's uh, forming major component of the organic part. And in organic part, you will not see any carbon signal because most of them are like calcium hydroxide and sodium and all those things. So I, I, I had seen uh, Ratan quite busy on that project. And we, I think we had our first paper when I, just join the lab. So basically, I 
my boss kind of in the beginning trapped me in that project saying that collagen is a protein and you are interested in working on protein so <laughs> so i said okay that sounds good uh, yeah i but, could accept that logic <laughs> yeah i mean and that was fun like later on i realized that was fun working on so basically the exciting part of that project was you can you can just take a piece of cortical bone pack inside the rotor spin it at high spinning like uh, you know that uh, in order to study uh, in order to do solid state nmr we need to spin the, uh, there either we can do static nmr or we can spin the sample so we used to spin the bone at uh, 10 kilohertz and spinning itself was a was a big challenge because you pack the rotor inside uh, you, you pack the bone inside 3.2 mm rotor and then you put that for spinning so the biggest challenge was spinning the bone so uh, then uh, then one of the challenges was to cut the bone in that shape of 3.2 mm rotor that was one of the biggest challenge and i became yeah. really good expert in that yeah. so and later on it was it was very nice journey like uh, i think i was the person who first recorded nitrogen 15 signal in natural abundance and studied the basically relaxation time for the backbone of the collagen and uh, then I, I was a person who standardized how to preserve bone samples because a lot of groups started working on bone samples. So and is, started I would using. say, is this just for NMR applications or just in general? So uh, study of bones or collagen protein inside bone by NMR was not that common long back. And it started recently. I think uh, when I started working on bone, it was only duration of three or four years when it started happening again. A lot of people started using NMR, to, solid state NMR to study bone samples, especially both organic and inorganic parts. So a lot of studies were coming out, but no one had optimized the preservation conditions. So what I did, I mean, for uh, when I started looking for the literature, I have seen that people uh, who do traditional uh, micro CT measurements, they, they have optimized how to preserve bones and everything. But I decided to look uh, for the NMR parameters and their changes with respect to conditions where you are storing those bone samples in case if you want to store them for longer time or if you want to uh, transport those samples. Mm -hmm. So that study I performed, I basically preserved at different conditions and measured relaxation parameters and the collagen uh, 13C NMR to see the collagen uh, structure and all those things. So that study was done. It was it was published in Solid State NMR, which is basically journal of representative journal for Solid State NMR. It's not very high impact, but it's good journal. So overall, it was fun. Basically, it was fun. So if I if I were to if I didn't know anything about you at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was like one of your friends and that had very little knowledge of, of science. How, were, how, mm. were the, how was your conversation with people that you came across during that time when, when you were explaining what you were doing? Like you were explaining, oh, I'm, I'm essentially cutting bones and trying to study them. What was the reaction <laughs> like from the people? Yeah, so I mean, science, it, it was hard to explain to people in science also. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. because I mean, so, People used to laugh because 
we use goat bones. So sometimes we would just buy the meat. Okay, what are the bad bones? Home. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not good bones, goat bones. Oh, oh goat bones, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, so, and we, uh, I think for to common people, they used to wonder what we are doing with those bone samples, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that would be the first question. Like, how come? Like, what are you doing with them? <laughs> and the, the places from where we procured, they were worried that are we doing some quality mm-hmm. control or are we doing some kind of testing? Yeah. Are we going to harm them or something like that? Yeah. So that no. was the reaction of common people. And yeah. So I, w- I was going to ask, so at the end of your PhD, you, you are coming off the heels of this uh, a lot of body of work based on just your publication history alone. So you are entering this new phase. Like, what was going through what was going through your mind at the time? Like, what were your goals that you were setting out for yourself that you needed to accomplish? And this is sort of I will come back to that point because one of the things I really admire you is your strategic thinking and uh, sort of having a plan and a backup plan and all those things. And when did it really start for you? to solidify in terms of what you want to accomplish in life? Was it some, was it sometime at the end of your PhD? So PhD was fun till third year and around fourth year, when I was coming towards end of my PhD, I started thinking where I want to be. And you have to be really open in terms of your thinking process and what you want in next five years or something like that. And as you may be aware that in academics, there, there are uh, not that many positions. So I started thinking about that really early uh, in my uh, career. So <clears throat> then, I mean, at one time I, I decided, okay, I will not go, go in academics. I will go in industry because there are not many jobs and it's so much struggle. And what we don't realize as scientists whether we are uh, young scientists or old, I mean, we don't think in terms of time, uh, in, in terms of, we don't plan in terms of years. We plan in terms of five years or in terms of 10 years, which is not a very good thinking, you know. You have to plan, I mean, you have to think, keep on thinking. Just when you finish your PhD, PhD, you have to think in terms of one year or two year plan. So I was really confused, like everyone else, like you are confused right now. I was yes. really confused. What, what should I do next? So I, I even applied in a pharma company, big pharma company. I got the position. And then I, I was in constant argument or discussion with my boss that he, he, tried, he asked me what you want to do. I said, I don't want to do postdoc. I want to go to industry. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so. I talked to people who were in industry, like uh, I was blessed in having seniors who were really open in what you were, uh, I asked. So I, I asked a couple of seniors who were working in the, in the industry. And I mean, they told me that, okay, you can always come back to industry, but uh, have some year of, uh, some, some exposure in uh, postdoc so that you can go to your academics uh, jobs. And if you don't go to, postdoc you kind of close your options for academics so i was trying to be clever with this pharma company when i got the offer i asked them can you guarantee me to send for industrial postdoc 
and can you give me a sign later? And they said, no, we will think after five years. I said, thank you very much. I have got, I have got a position in MIT and I am living there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I like teaching. I like, uh, basically I like teaching and I like research. So first priority was always academics, but I wanted to be realistic. Yeah, yeah. So this is a perfect segue that into into the next uh, step that you've taken, which is this MIT position. So how did this uh, happen? Because essentially, you are now finishing the PhD in India. I'm I'm assuming that a lot of people in that were in your shoes who would want to go, for example, for to the US to the to take a postdoc position. That's a probably a steep competition, but also it's it's challenging on so many different levels, culturally, financially academically even like in terms of securing these prestigious types of uh, positions how did how did you accomplish that so when i was looking for uh, postdoc one thing i was uh, clear uh, about like i did not want to continue my phd work in my postdoc i wanted to add uh, keeping nmr as my key technique i wanted to add expertise in different area than my PhD work. So I chose to change my field of research. And the way it works, like you keep on applying and uh, then you go for the interviews if you get the reply and it, it takes, uh, like, I think it takes 50 emails to give get reply from two, uh, two three people as you have experienced. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, and one thing I was really good about, I was following the kind of people, um, I wanted to work with. So I, I was following research of uh, Professor Mihong in MIT from long time. And so that helped when I discussed, in, when I got the opportunity of, uh, in, like when she interviewed me, I could discuss all the work which, which was being done and I have followed that work for a long time. So basically it, I was not targeting MIT, I was targeting her lab. So, or the kind of research I wanted to do. So most of the positions where I applied, I was already following from, I think, uh, second year of my PhD, I was following most of work in NMR, in biological NMR. Right. Because it's, it's, it's a small field. So you can count people on fingers, like who is working on what field, you know? Yes. So that's, that's easy to keep track of. So in the, in the work that you've done at MIT, what was maybe the most important cultural thing that you have experienced when coming into that position, as well as what was the professional <clears throat> takeaway that sort of helped you to uh, essentially improve on what you already knew as a PhD student? So, I mean, uh, you, you face totally different problems. Like here, uh, wherever you are in your country or wherever you have done your PhD, you are in a comfort zone. And you will be surprised. The biggest problem is housing. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. I mean, that's true. I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you go to Boston, it took me two or three months to get my own apartment. Or, my, uh, you know, so that was the biggest problem. And I, I took that lightly, but I think a lot of time went and time and effort went in finding proper housing. So that takes your mind off from your research for a while. So. Yeah. That was first, then definitely weather. It's like coming from, you know, <laughs> coming from the place which has plenty of sunlight and it's basically hot temperature and everything else. You go to Boston where it's very charming. 
to see the snowfall from long distance you know yes. so it's <laughs> when when it happens for, for the first time you you enjoy, enjoy it you go outside you feel it but then it becomes a pain yeah. and uh, in in long time you realize that you're not happy basically it mm-hmm. it's a it's a challenge to be in those places especially yeah. if you come from the place which has plenty of sunlight so th- that was bigger challenge i like most of the things in the lab although i totally changed my field uh i struggled i struggled but i learned a lot like uh, you can you can learn a lot from those places people work really hard really really hard so what's the biggest advantage of working hard i mean because i know you worked when we worked together you worked super hard for for many many months especially closer to the end of your time in mm-hmm. our lab so yeah. would you say that there is no shortcuts in terms of you know getting the results that you want working hard pays off yeah i mean that that is one thing i have realized in uh, realized over, uh, like in long time that you you can take the benefit of shortcuts only if you have worked hard for long time you know so like uh, Uh, if if you have worked for one or two years work hard you know everything about that system then only you can take benefit of those shortcuts or things you notice you know like small things you notice in your experiments which yeah. will be a notice if you have not worked hard yeah so until until you, you know the system really well it will be difficult to notice those shortcuts which can you can take later yeah so speaking of working hard and given the fact that we are in trained in this sort of niche environment Uh, this the existential question that i sometimes struggle with is a question of what's better being a specialist or being a generalist in terms of specifically profession that we chose so it totally depends again where you want to go and i think it's not difficult uh, i think it, being a specialist puts you in the same situation there are very few positions but there are very few people and being a generalist it it's like there are more people competing for those positions and it's easier to be a generalist like you can take any uh, short time training course or postdoc position which has all those techniques and you can get trained easily within a year but being a specialist cannot be done within a year it takes time mm-hmm. so it has both advantages and disadvantages so in uh, um in the time that you've been in um, Mihong's lab at MIT what was going through your mind in terms of how do you want to adjust or follow through in terms of the plan that you set for yourself at the end of your phd like what was the planning uh, what was your state of mind at that point how did you essentially get to the san diego <laughs> so uh, actually i what i didn't realize when i was changing my field so that that is a very hyperactive lab and if you are a change, if you are changing a field uh basically you need some time to learn you know you you need some time to learn and you need to adjust with the pace of the whole lab so one thing i realized that like uh, i i need to be in a place where basically i can give more time towards learning than producing you know mm-hmm. so that that was the reason i moved moved to san diego like i think francisca did not ask me for six months or one year what i am doing mm-hmm. so 
specifically so that that like that gives you time to adjust if you are not changing a field then you can go immediately to mm-hmm. any lab you want but if you are changing a field you may need some time to learn everything about that field and how things work in that area something like that so uh, that time i got in san diego so and what- yeah what was yeah, the most favorite, what was what was the most favorite uh thing that you think you've done in San Diego besides obviously hanging out with uh, lab mates such as myself <laughs> uh, i used i love to walk in San Diego like it's nice really nice weather so you can have a long walk you can go to the beach by walking i used to go to lab sometime during the weekends it's like around Three, three and a half miles so i had to walk to lab sometimes during weekends if i needed to go to work yeah. so you can't walking really do is, that in boston right <laughs> yeah in boston you can't do that and even in india it's too crowded so it's not that easy you know so that uh, those long walks and there's so many i mean san diego is fun place yeah. so it's uh, it has similar weather to india like so, uh uh-huh. go ahead similar weather in some months in india you know like the weather right now is quite pleasant so yeah. i cannot say in summers yeah so how did the time in san diego inform your decision or your goal in terms of to pursue the position that you currently occupy so uh, the place where i am currently like banaras hindu university i did my bachelor's and masters from this university and one thing one very special thing about this place this place is like in not a big city this this in a, this is in a small city but this is one of the top five universities in india and i have seen many people who complete their journey from here they want to come back to this this university there is something about that so my goal even from my phd was to come back to this university if i get a chance so when i was in san diego i think during the end of second year i uh, i realized that i am ready to move as independent person and that discussion uh, like uh, francesca had that my discussion with me and that may made things clear like <clears throat> there is a time when you realize okay now you are ready you, you can finish independent projects you can conduct independent research so i realized that now i think i i should start applying so uh, i first i was i think i was planning to move to europe in uh, for a couple of years so that i can come back to india and give interviews and go back it's easier to travel from europe than in us so the plan was to go back to europe and then apply in india and come back but it worked faster so i had applied for this position i think 6 months or 7 months before i shifted and then mean uh, the interviews in this universities were were being conducted during the time i was applying a visa for europe and it worked out well yeah i was going to say like since i was privy to some of those uh, uh, trials and tribulations of trying to go <laughs> from francesca's lab sort of uh, going over europe and actually straight into the the yeah. i guess the dream position that you always wanted was super interesting and obviously uh it just shows the power of strategic thinking and really going uh going out there and having a plan and having a backup plan and a backup to a backup plan i think this is one of the things that I'm, i admire most about you 
Yeah, so that I have done from long time. Like uh, I prepare my timetables. It, it sometimes it works, sometimes it does not work. I change that, but I keep on doing that. I keep on thinking what I want to do next, and if what if it, this does not work? I yeah. need to have a second plan. Yeah, I need to have have a third plan. If, if that second plan does not work, I don't want to be in a situation where I don't have anything to do. You know. Yeah. So I think this is a perfect time to talk about what's happening in the world right now, which is obviously we're in the middle of the pandemic, which changes not just plans, it changes people's lives in almost an irreversible manner. So as a newly minted uh, uh, assistant professor, uh, what is going on through your mind? Like how do you adjusting and how do you plan for the future in times like this? This is the time when people are getting a lot of time to introspect, you know? to look look within and to think about so many things so as i mean i took i think i taught for almost i almost we completed a semester we took the mid sem exams and then students were going back after mid sem break and it happened during that mm-hmm. so we have been sending teaching materials to students so that they they can keep on um, reading the things they they have to be taught and stuff this time i mean this and the there's a long list of things which has to be done and some some things some movies and some series like harry potter i watched That's after a long time nice. finally <laughs> so we got to talk about it off the air for sure i'm really curious about your opinion <laughs> so so but it's a lot of reading basically like the kind of research work i want to do in future the kind of grants i want to apply and what are the ch- challenges which are what, what will be the challenge in, challenges in f- funding situations in future yeah. so you have to think about a lot like a lot of things so this is a perfect yeah. this is a perfect time for me to ask the question i know you're a very big advocate for increasing more academic research funding so yeah. it's very interesting for me to ask so why do you think and this is your time to maybe give like a sales pitch or sort of your opinion really on the funding situation in academic research and how does the situation that we currently live in now really change or should change the the funding that that we have right now so there are some observations which i can uh, make like i mean in india we we are able to do testing because we have people who are expert in those kind of things so this is a result of long time investment in research and development you cannot have things done overnight like people are asking immediately vaccine 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 it cannot come overnight it cannot it cannot come within a short span of time so research takes long training you know long it, it it's a time taking thing so if you have good amount of funding and you have if you can attract best people in research by making it lucrative enough giving good jobs giving good facilities you will have best people working on challenging problems so if you think about the money of uh, if you think about how much money we have lost due to this close uh, lockdown global lockdown it's huge so i was reading one article i don't know how correct is that but basically the amount of uh, the amount of bail package which has been given recently given recently by us is the amount of total biomedical funding from 1986 till now 
Oh wow. So and and if in last 5 years there has been funding cuts in all over the world it's not the problem of only uh, uh, india or any specific country all over the world there has been cut in research funding funding so we need to focus on our priorities what is more essential for life you know mm-hmm. so that's why we need to increase funding in research especially government funded research because it pays in long term it does not it may not pay immediately like right now people may say that okay we don't have anything against covid 19 or coronavirus but if you think i mean people uh, the scientists are doing all the test we are able to do the test because people are trained in rt pcr mm-hmm. it's not a it's a it's a very common technique but if you have not invested enough i mean you will not have enough trained people the good people are living academia they are going to industry or they are not going in research at all it's a long route mm-hmm. so if you, if you keep on reducing the funds it's not going to be a very good situation when you need it the most like yeah. the situation right now you know yeah so uh, i was planning on making another video and you'll probably see it soon on the channel which talks about the implications of covid-19 when it comes to academic research and one of the things i was Uh, planning on talking about a little bit is what's the focus that we see right now in terms of the public's perception of the the contributions and what i mean by that I, it, it seems like academic research sort of is stolen um or rather was stolen from the spotlight by all the pharmaceutical companies which are now running the clinical trials or developing the vaccines and so on and so forth which is sort of running against what we really hope to achieve is actually give more money to basic academic research yeah i i agree i mean uh, so uh, there's difference between like society here and society in uh, us at least i appreciated that people in us valued scientists more than people in india oh. so so uh, the popul- uh, it cannot be generalized but overall the uh, amount uh, like the number of interactions i had in us and in india it's very difficult or it's not that easy to convince people to go in science you know mm-hmm. uh, for the career prospects so and society in general values scientists more in western world mm-hmm. and because they have seen the benefits in long term you know so <clears throat> what uh, what people don't realize or what i think what is not being communicated effectively is that any kind of vaccine development of any or any kind of breakthrough depends on the long time research which has which is which was done by people in academics you know it's like 20 30 years of research and those research is taken into account to develop any product so that work people don't pay attention to that if that work that work was not there it, it will not be easy to do things immediately all the research cannot be done by one company or you know people in one company they cannot go from zero to the final stage there has been a lot of background work which which was done by people in academics or government funded institutions and that work forms the foundation of any kind of breakthrough in industry so that foundation go, goes unnoticed most of the time people see and out of the many claims i have i have seen many claims but 
how many of those claims came to the final conclusion. We are still waiting for a final conclusion. So since it's more attractive for companies to make the case, and it's, 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 it will be good if anyone comes with a vaccine. There should be, you know, a healthy competition. I'm not against that. But I think most of the companies make big claims. Then it, it takes time to prove things. It cannot be done immediately, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> So as we wrap things up uh, for this episode, I guess my biggest question to you, Chandan, is, is we have uh, some listeners who are early career professionals, both on the academic side or maybe transitioning into the industry. What was the, some, some of the uh, life advice that you've gotten over your uh, academic career and the something, some of the tips that you think have helped you to become uh, and to really to achieve the things that you have and be... Um, in a position that you're in, in this sort of dream job that you always envision for yourself? So, like, if you, uh, if, if you ask me, like, 10 or 15 years back, or when I was in my PhD, if you ask me back then, I would not say that I will get this position. Because it's, a, it's in a small city, but the competition is huge, literally huge. So, I would say one of the most important things is to be clear in what you want. If you want to go to industry, be clear right from the beginning that you want to go to industry. If, you're, if you want to go to academics, be clear about that. Open, uh, ask difficult questions to yourself and focus totally, totally on you. Don't think about anything, anything or anything else. Think about your own interest because it's, it's a long span of time. You know, it's five years or 10. 10 years of uh, time investment. So you have to think about yourself and you have to think at least two years, three years ahead of the time. Like if what if you do this, what will be your situation in two years or three years? And what if one thing does not work? Do you have a backup? Yeah. So always uh, early, especially people in early career, they, they should start looking in job scenario and they should start looking in this uh, the skills they want like if if some someone is transitioning or willing to transition in industry they should start looking uh, for the positions and start looking for the expertise they are asking so that they can plan for that it will not be overnight that you will be trained in a technique which you you have not learned you know so so i think thinking ahead helps a lot and having plans yeah some What's what's more, what makes it more difficult most of the time if we get in a comfortable situation, uh, we want, we we are kind kind of happy with that situation and everyone, I mean, who want to push themselves with in a difficult situation. Yeah. So I think being in being in a difficult situation helps you. It okay. will pay. <laughs> so it, it it will be like a headache for some time, but in long term, you will sell, save a lot of time. Yeah, and then you can apply those shortcuts. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, speaking of uh, one last question, and before we wrap up, uh, speaking of uh, planning ahead, I know the answer to the question, but I think it's worth asking. Uh, what's would you like to do another PhD, and what would you want to specialize in? Oh, so I have been a huge fan of literature, like uh, uh, Hindi literature, English literature. And in fact, I have that plan. If I, if I have to do another PhD, it will be in, in the literature for sure. 
Well, and I think <laughs> this is a 20, 20 30 year old uh, thinking ahead, basically. Yeah, if I mean, literature is very close to my heart, and I, I, I'm very happy to see the new literature coming in Hindi, basically. Wow. So I, I look forward to reading that dissertation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So after some time. Yeah. Thank you very much, Chandan, for your time. It's been a pleasure to having you here on Biofilm Podcast. Thank you very much, Pavel, for inviting me.